You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. Welcome once again to Cross Section. I'm Kevin Jensen. Glad you're with us today. We're beginning a new study in our Wednesday morning Bible class on angels, demons, the devil, spiritual powers uh, in kind of the unseen realm, and even the state of the dead between death and resurrection. We're calling this the in-between. So everything in between human beings and God in that spiritual realm that we cannot see, but that scripture tells us is out there and human beings have interacted with it from time to time. It's a realm of great mystery, uh, but also of significance for us who believe in Jesus and follow him. We're studying this uh, topic in our Wednesday morning Bible class, our Senior Adults and Friends Bible class. That class is currently meeting on Zoom, and we are uh, recording it so that we can share it with you through the podcast for those of you who are not able to uh, be a part of it in person or who want to listen to it uh, and be engaged in it a second time. Now, this uh, class uh, will have worksheets that will be posted regularly uh, for those who uh, want to do some advanced study or uh, or study these things after the class. Those worksheets can be found with the uh, uh, podcast notes, the episode notes uh, for uh, each um, uh, segment of the uh, of the class. And those are available on the church's website at www.summitviewchurch.net. And then just look under Recordings and then under Podcast. And you'll find the episode notes there. You'll find the link uh, to download the worksheet uh, each, uh, each time we put out a new worksheet, which will be every uh, two to three weeks, I anticipate. A couple of the highlights of uh, today's uh, episode of this week's class Uh, We look at the first appearance of the devil recorded in Scripture. We look at the first appearance of cherubim, and we talk about what those are. And we look at the first appearance of uh, a more standard angel to human beings as recorded in Scripture. Uh, So we talk about those quite a bit, what they mean, and I hope that you enjoy the conversation. Uh, You'll hear uh, my voice on there quite a bit. You'll hear other voices, too, as we're interacting Uh, in the class. Thank you so much for uh, your interest in uh, this topic, and I hope that you enjoy this lesson. Okay, so we're ready to start our new new class on uh, angels, demons, the devil, spiritual powers, both light and dark, good and evil, uh, and also the realm of the dead. So kind of everything that's in between uh, the, the human plane of existence and God, because there are things in between, and the Bible tells us about them, and they are uh, fascinating to some and kind of too mystical uh, to other people, um, but they're real, and they, they have interacted with human beings uh, from time to time, and they have an effect on our lives today, as the Bible makes very clear, especially when you get into the New Testament letters, uh, which it'll be a while before we get there, but we'll get there eventually. I'm calling this study the in-between because we are looking at things that are in between us and God, if that makes sense. Um, The way that I'd like to go about this study is different from any study of angels and demons and such that I've ever been a part of. Uh, Usually those are very topical studies where we look at, okay, what are angels? What do they look like? What sorts of things do they do? You know, where'd the devil come from? That sort of thing. And we're going to get into all those questions. 
But the way I'd like to get into them is, is by digging directly into the text of Scripture and going through Scripture chronologically uh, to see uh, how these things were revealed to our spiritual ancestors over time, if that makes sense. Uh, Adam and Eve uh, probably didn't know about demons right off. Maybe they found out about them. We don't know. Uh, you know, Moses probably didn't know as much about angels and the devil and such as the apostles did, for example. Uh, God has revealed spiritual things to humanity gradually over time. And we're in a position to know more about these things than Elijah, probably, or uh, Joshua, or these other great figures of uh, the history of God's people. And so what I'd like to do is just kind of walk with our spiritual ancestors uh, through the text of Scripture and see uh, how it is that uh, God has revealed um, things of a spiritual nature to us and what it is that he has revealed and see what we learn from that as we go. So uh, does that make sense uh, so far? Okay. Yep. All right. And uh, as I mentioned before, when I've got screen sharing on, I cannot see everybody at once most of the time. Uh, and so if, uh, if you have something you want to say, uh, go ahead and speak up. Uh, you can wave a hand. I might see you. But if I don't, just go ahead and unmute yourself and, and speak up. And that'll be just fine. OK, if you're ready, let's jump in. And, you know, as we go through these passages of Scripture uh, today and in the weeks to come, we'll look at what Scripture says. We'll also look at what other people say. Uh, what are some of the myths and stories we hear about spiritual things that the Bible, uh, you know, gives evidence of or, or doesn't? Uh, and we'll, we'll study that, too, as we, as we go through. All right, let's begin right at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3 uh, with the first story in which we see spiritual beings that are not God or his spirit. Uh, so chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis tell the stories of our creation, uh, the creation of the heavens and the earth, and then life on earth of all sorts, and then finally the creation of human life. Uh, and then we get into uh, the story of Genesis chapter 3, uh, what we call the story of the fall. And let's just look at this, and uh, let's take a look especially at the serpent, and then uh, cherubim show up at the end as well. Okay, Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, 
Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Genesis chapter 3. Uh, this is the uh, first story in the Bible in which we see spiritual beings besides God. And of course, human beings are spiritual beings also uh, of a different nature. Uh, but here we see uh, two kinds of spiritual beings. We see the serpent and we see uh, the cherubim. And let me just let me just ask you, what are some things we learn about uh, the serpent? Let's start with the serpent. What do we learn about him in this story? And it's it might be challenging. Try to stick with with what this story tells us and uh, uh, not so much what we learn about the serpent later, although we'll, we'll talk about that, too. Kevin? Yes. Kevin? Darlene. Mm -hmm. What I do find out here that God still had power over the serpent. Ooh. That he actually told him, you will crawl on your belly the rest. He, he punished him right then and there. And if he could do it then, <laughs> I was wondering why he couldn't take all of his powers away from him from deceiving man. Yes. Yes, Darlene, that's excellent. That's an excellent insight for us to begin with. Uh, the serpent has, you know, some kind of power, knowledge. He, he at least knows more than Eve does, right? More than Adam does, too. Uh, but he's no match for God. Uh, God has full authority over the serpent. He can curse the serpent um, and, uh, and does. Uh, and we'll see um, when we get into Job 1 and 2, which is in the same section, our, our opening section of text to look at, we'll probably get to it next week or so. Um, we'll see there that though the devil has uh, tremendous power, uh, it's nothing compared to the authority of God. And he has to live within the... Uh, limitations that God sets upon him. Yeah. 
Very good, Darlene. Thank you. What else? Oh, what else we learn? Yes, Earl. Yes, Kevin. Uh, uh, the serpent was very demanding, although they didn't listen to God at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the serpent knows exactly what he wants them to do, right? Uh, and uh, they forget what God has said at that moment. They uh, are persuaded by the serpent. And, and by the fact that the fruit looks good too, maybe, you know, maybe they've, maybe they're starting to look at it and go, Hmm, I, I think I might like to try that. That looks really tasty. Yeah. Yes, Monica. Satan is a master at um, turning things around or giving partial proof and, and making it appear that it's okay. Yeah. Right. Satan is a master at giving uh, partial, uh, part of the truth, right? Partial truth. We're going to find that later, too. Jesus will say in the book of John that uh, Satan is, is a liar, always has been. Um, and when he lies, he speaks his native language. Deceiver. And he's, he's a deceiver, right? Right. And uh, we'll, we'll see that throughout the story of Scripture whenever we run across uh, the devil himself. Yeah. Oh, let me ask you, uh, how do we know that uh, we're just working with the assumption here that the serpent is the devil, but Genesis 3 doesn't say that. How do we know that the, that the serpent is actually the devil? What would make us think that? Revelation. Ah. Revelation. Ah. Revelation. Yeah, it comes up a couple of times, right? Um, one, of the, one of the ways that I want to go about our study is as we're looking through stories, we'll come across from time to time, some recurring themes that just pop up frequently in Scripture. And uh, I'd like to take you through one of those now. The first recurring theme that we'll look at is this theme of the serpent. Uh, and so, Kevin? yes. Yes, go ahead, Richard. Monica had something she wanted to say. Okay. Yeah, go ahead, Monica. Monica. Well, it actually went right along with what... Um... Oh, I forgot her name. I'm so sorry. Anyway, the beautiful lady in the blue that spoke just before me. Oh, Sherry. Uh-huh. Sherry, of course, Sherry. Okay. Uh, it, what I was going to say was almost exactly, except she put it in better words than I would have. But when a salesman is selling something to a person, I've been told that part of his um, way that he works it is he gets the person who he's selling it to to say yes or agree in about three different ways. Then they've already started that in her, their mind of, Oh, yeah, I kind of agree with this guy. Well, Satan asked her something that he knew wasn't totally true. And so right away, she's able to speak up and her mind think, oh, I know something he doesn't know. God didn't say that. And so it's kind of like instead of standing back and making her mind work and think, she's drawing right in. Yeah, so he's he's just like a uh, just like a salesman here, right? Just like a good salesman. Uh or bad salesman, really, uh, uh, selling someone on uh, on a half-truth, getting them to agree with that part and ignore the uh, the, the, the contrary evidence um, that might dissuade them from making the purchase, right? And Eve, she buys it. She eats the fruit, and she gives some to Adam. He bought it, too. He was right there with her. Uh, why he didn't speak with the snake, I don't know, but uh, they uh, they both ate the, the, the fruit. Zay? Did they realize that the snake was a bad thing? 
Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Did they realize the snake was a bad thing? I, I think afterward they did. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, once true, all this was done, I'm they figured it out. Sure. Before, I don't know. <laughs> uh, another another question, you know, that goes along with that might be: um, Are we talking about a, a real snake here? And not in the metaphorical sense, like you're such a snake, you know, not like that. But are we talking about a physical snake? Uh, did the devil speak through a literal snake or um, is is this kind of a metaphor for something that happened in a different way? I mean, we don't know. Ultimately, may have been an actual snake that the devil used. Uh, we'll read a story later on about a uh, talking donkey um, that God used. And uh, so if God can use a talking donkey, maybe the snake, maybe the devil can use a snake, you know, um, Kevin. Yes. Um, it says in here that when God says to the serpent that he is cursed above all livestock and all wild animals, so they might not have known it, but I think he was a real snake. Yeah, that makes it sound like a real snake, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because all the other snakes were cursed. Yeah. Yeah, the you would crawl on your belly. That crawls on the ground. Right. The, the snake is little worms, but I mean, the snake is—he's crawling. Yep. Yep. He's crawling on the ground from you. Yeah. Now this this serpent is a uh, recurring theme in scripture. Take a look at at uh, some passages here. What the uh, the rest of the Bible says about the serpent. So Genesis three verse one. We just read that. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And then it goes on to tell the rest of the story. Uh, Isaiah 65, verse 25. By the way, is this text on your screen? Is this big enough for you to be able yes. to read? Yes. Okay. Anybody yes. having trouble with that? This, okay. This is just our first week using this, uh, this particular format. I've changed it a little bit since our Revelation study. So, Okay. Isaiah 65, verse 25. Uh, talking about the uh, the future when God will make everything right. The wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox and dust will be the serpent's food. So there's that serpent. He's going to get the short end of the stick. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. So the serpent comes up again there. Uh, then again in 2 Corinthians 11, 3, so we're in the New Testament now. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray. So Paul, speaking with the church in Corinth, remembers the story of the serpent deceiving Eve and says, I don't want you to be deceived too. And watch out for that. Um, and then Revelation, as Richard mentioned a minute ago, this is where we find out that the serpent is definitely for sure the devil. Revelation 12, 9, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray and then again in chapter 20 and verse 2 of revelation he seized the dragon that ancient serpent who is the devil or satan and bound him for a thousand years and we talked about in our study of revelation about uh, what that means but just uh, just to point out that uh, yes scripture does confirm that uh, uh, the snake in the garden the serpent in the garden that is actually uh, the devil uh, for sure well, okay. There's a reason why uh, it's called a serpent because a, a snake is is pretty sly and and sneaky. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it has that reputation, right? And yucky. And yucky. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of enjoy them, but uh, when, when Isaac and I are out on the trail and we find a find a snake, that's pretty exciting for us. We'll 
stay and watch it for about as long as it'll stay on the trail, which usually isn't very long. <laughs> well, you know, a snake is a cool thing to handle, really. Yeah, they are kind of cool. Yeah. yeah, especially when they, you know, you put them around your shoulders or something. They crawl around your, around your shoulders. Ew. But I don't think Hello. I want to. Uh, I don't. I don't think I want to spend time with this snake uh, no. here in here in this <laughs> no. text. Let me uh, let me back up just a little bit and uh, glance through the text here. There are a couple of things I, I wanted to to point out. Um, looking at the uh, the worksheet that you have or will have. Um, I have a few questions about the serpent. What did the serpent do? We've talked about that. Uh, the serpent deceived Eve. Uh, who is the serpent and how do we know? We've talked about that. This is the devil. We know that from Revelation 12 and Revelation 20. Uh, we also might have guessed it even without Revelation from the, his character that he's out to deceive them and to uh, turn Adam and Eve against God and break the quality of their relationship with God. And he succeeds at that. Uh, and of course, God's uh, mission ever since then in regard to human beings has been to repair the damage that was done in the garden and bring us back to himself so that there is no distance between us and God uh, anymore. Um, here's a question for you. What does this first glimpse of an evil presence in God's creation tell us about the heavenly realm? Okay, so th try to think like Adam and Eve for a minute. And, uh, you know, everything has always been good and, and you know about God. And I don't know if you know about angels or not. I don't know if they counted angels or not because uh, we just don't have any story of it. Uh, but all of a sudden you meet this snake and he says, oh, you go ahead and eat some of that uh, some of that forbidden fruit. And you do. And, and then you face the consequences of that. What have you learned about the heavenly realm? <coughs> You know, beyond the the plane on which human beings exist, what what do we learn about that from this serpent? What about free will? Okay. You know, down here, they had the right to say yes or no down here. Yeah. And God warned them. I wonder yeah. about free will. Well, of course, there was free will because Satan was tossed out of of heaven there years ago, uh, before the the creation. But God didn't treat us when he created us like puppets that we did. We had a mind of our own to use. We had the right to say yes or no. And we saw a beautiful place to live in until we didn't even know what death was until Satan took care of us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So a couple of new concepts have been introduced here. Uh, we'll get into later uh, what happened with the devil um, before this. Uh, we'll get into that later because there are other passages that might hint at that. Uh, but here, uh, Darlene, you mentioned a couple of things. One, uh, Adam and Eve have discovered the reality of death. Not that they've experienced it yet, but they've, uh, you know, begun to realize that was not an empty threat from God. Uh, and then also, as you mentioned, Darlene, we've discovered that there uh, may be such a thing as free will for heavenly beings, you know, um, not just human beings. Richard? One thing we know for sure is at this time, there was not complete harmony in that world. Yeah. Yeah. We might not have known that before, but all of a sudden, when this voice comes into the garden and speaks to Adam and Eve, representing a, uh, a position that is not of God, uh, suddenly they, they must realize 
there's more going on up there than we had understood. Uh, things are not entirely good and perfect in what we might call the heavenly realm. And, and by heavenly realm, I don't mean uh, specifically in heaven where God is, um, but I, I mean everything that's in between us and God, uh, whatever powers and beings are out there. We'll study those as we go through the text. And we'll let the text inform us about, about what is out there. Uh, yeah, everything is not in harmony there. There, there are issues there. Zay? It kind of shows that no matter where, <laughs> the devil can sneak in anywhere. Mm -hmm. He's there just waiting for the opportunity. So that's, we got to stay ahead of him. Yeah. And but we're going to see. He was kicked out of heaven first and, and got worse. So we're, we're going to see um, uh, some passages about that as, as we go along, um, less in the Old Testament, more in the New Testament, uh, but maybe a little bit in the, in the Old. Um, but uh, that, that's exactly it. Uh, the devil will sneak in wherever he can. And this is the first indication we have of that. Uh, and he will cause harm. And his number one tool for doing so is uh, deception, the lie. And that's what he begins with here. Yeah. How did he how did he get in the garden? That's a good question. How did he get in the garden? I don't know. He was part of the wildlife. <laughs> right. The snake was part of the wildlife, right? I, I'm not sure if the devil was part of the wildlife. Um, so that's a good question. We we don't know. How much how much freedom of movement does the devil have? We're gonna have to address that question again when we get to Job chapters one and two, which if, if you have your worksheet is on the backside of the worksheet, um, because there the devil comes into the presence of God with all the angels. Uh, how much freedom of movement does the devil have? We don't know exactly. We don't know, but we know God does permit well, him Kevin? to go into the garden. Earl? Yes, uh, this sounds like this is the first, uh, first evidence of, uh, of God giving man a choice. Were right. you right or wrong? Mm -hmm. It sure is. And, you know, one of the things I want us to um, to work at uh, during this study is, that, uh, is to not get so caught up with angels and demons and the devil and spiritual powers and such that we forget to always look at God in these stories. And so what does that tell us, Earl, about God? Well, it tells us that God has given not only human beings free will, but as Darlene said, also gives um, other spiritual beings, other beings that God has created. He gives them free will uh, also. We also find here that... Uh, well, you know, it, yeah, go ahead, Earl. It, it shows us that we have to be very cautious in all things that we do and say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, why do you say that? Well, because, you know... Uh, <clears throat> the serpent was uh, was placed in front of man and you know they had that choice to do right or wrong and they chose to do wrong and not listen to god yeah right right yeah uh, just because there's another voice out there doesn't mean that voice is better than god's voice and that's good for us to think about every day right yeah. Yeah, we're, we're going to hear a, a voice counter to God's, uh, at least sometimes, and we need to be careful to uh, uh, to, to uh, listen closely for God's voice, because we find out beginning in this story and throughout scripture and really throughout our lives, 
we found out, find out God's voice is better. Uh, it's better for us to follow God's voice than to follow the voice of the serpent. Richard? <clears throat> One of the things that has always been hard for me to really grab a hold of, God knew that man was going to fall. Now, I don't know whether he knew this would be the time that they would go against him or, or whether it'd be some other time, but God knew man was going to fall because he set up the plan of reconciliation mm -hmm. before he created the earth. Right. And that's a concept that's hard for me to <laughs> grab a hold of. I just have to accept it as being true. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. That is fascinating. And so nothing here surprises God, probably. Uh, it surprises Adam and Eve a lot, I'm sure, but it doesn't surprise, doesn't surprise God. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me take us to the end of the story here, and I'm going to advance our text here a little bit. Back to the end of the story, um, the end of Genesis 3. Uh, God sends Adam and Eve out of the garden, and what does he place, or rather whom does he place, at the uh, east side of the garden to make sure that Adam and Eve can't get back in and eat from the tree of life. What does God cherubim. place there? Cherubim. Cherubim. Yeah. Angels. Cherubim, which are, which are some and kind of angels. And a flaming sword, right. Uh, and so, um, so what are cherubim? Um, I did a little research on the, uh, the origins of the word uh, cherub. Uh, it's a... Um, Hebrew word, cherub, uh, or cherubim for the plural. So cherub and cherubim, uh, singular and plural in English. And we don't know exactly what the origin of uh, the word cherub is. It might have to do with something like powerful one. That's our best guess coming to Akkadian and Assyrian, those two languages. Uh, but we're not sure. Uh, what we see in scripture is that these are powerful angelic beings who are often seen uh, near the throne of God. Uh, we see something like them in Revelation, and we see cherubs, uh, cherubim yeah, clearly in the book of Ezekiel, so we'll talk about them when we get there. That's uh, quite a ways into old te uh, the chronology of the Old Testament, uh, kind of near the end of the Old Testament chronologically. Uh, here, all we're told about them is that they stand on the east side of the Garden of Eden and guard the way to the Tree of Life so that Adam and Eve can't sin and live forever by eating from the tree of life. There's a flaming sword flashing back and forth. It doesn't say whether, whether the cherubim are holding that sword, but they might be. Uh, let me show you a couple of pictures here. Let me get past uh, this recurring theme that we already looked at. Um, what is this a picture of? Sphinx. The Sphinx, yeah. What country? Egypt. Egypt. Oh, you, you guys are so good, yes. Yes, this is the great Sphinx, I believe it, at Giza in Egypt. And notice, uh, notice something about the Sphinx. It has the head of a human being, but the body of a lion. That's um, hard to tell uh, because of all the weathering that it's gone through over the millennia. Um, but uh, yeah, lion body, lion paws, lion tail, uh, the head of a human being. Uh, it was common in the ancient Near East to have um, sculptures, statues, um, maybe carvings on walls that featured uh, strange creatures that had human parts, but also powerful animal parts. We talked about this a little bit in our 
Revelation study when we were in chapter uh, four and we met the four living creatures and, and looked at uh, the four different faces that they have that feature different, very powerful animals. Uh, so you see this in ancient um, iconography <clears throat> to represent something that's like superhuman and so powerful. In this case, with the mind of a human being, the most powerful mind of any creature God has made on earth, uh, and also the, the body of a lion, very, very powerful uh, body. Let me show you one other picture. This one is from uh, the Sumerian culture, if I understand right, um, early Assyrian culture. Uh, this is Lamassu, who is a divine protector of the people, uh, if I understand right. And um, if you can see the picture well enough, it might be a little hard to see. You, if you can see my cursor, um, I'm kind of circling the face. There's a human face here with a beard. Above the face, there are horns. Up there on this guy's uh, really tall hat, uh, there his, his headpiece, there are horns up there that look like bull horns. It has, he has the body of a bull, so a little bit like a centaur, you know, that has the body of a horse, but the head of, uh, and the abdomen of a human being. Um, this guy has uh, the head of a human, but the body of a bull, the tail of a bull, and the feet, hooves of a bull. But he also has wings. Can you see his wings? Right mm -hmm. here by his front shoulders. And then above him, there are wings also. And it looks to me like he probably has four wings, two on this side and two on the far side. Uh, though it's hard to tell in a two-dimensional carving like this. Uh, and so this is another uh, example of uh, ancient people demonstrating power through a picture of animal and human features combined. That's sort of what we get when we get the cherubim. Uh, cherubim, as we go through scripture, you'll notice that they have wings. They pretty much always have wings. They can fly. Uh, they um, sometimes have multiple faces or... Uh, each of them might have a different face, and they'll have, you know, the face of an animal, but also the face of a human. Um, they sometimes have eyes all over their bodies. In Revelation, they have eyes all over their bodies. So very powerful. And the reason they have these animal features is to say, this thing has the, you know, the, the intellectual might of a human being, but it also has the physical might of an ox and the uh, physical power of the lion and, and the ability to fly like the great eagle and so forth. And so you're combining all the greatest abilities into one creature to say this thing is so powerful. And that's kind of a Bible's, the Bible's understanding of, of cherubim, that these are angelic beings who attend the throne of God and are very, very powerful. And whether they actually look like what we see in Scripture, we don't know. But this is how scripture represents them to us to communicate their incredible power uh, using a, um, a visual language that was very common in the time when scripture, scripture was written. Uh, does that make sense so far? That was a lot of information about cherubim and some of their historical background. Uh, yeah, so what does cherubim in the Greek mean? Uh, say that again, uh, Earl. Cherubim, cherubim in the Greek mean. You know, I think I'm not sure the uh, yeah the word does come up in Greek because it's in um, it's in the book of Hebrews. I think it's just transliterated from Hebrew. They just say cherub, and it just means the same thing as in Hebrew. And um, really, all we know about what it means in Hebrew is uh, what the Bible tells us about cherub cherubim. And our you know one guess about what the word meant originally is powerful ones, but we're not we're not sure. And the Greek would mean the same. It would be the same in Greek.
So they are different from uh, angels. That's a good question. They do seem to be different from most of the angels we see in scripture. We don't see cherubim very often. And when we do, they're really close to God. Um, so their presence here at the garden gives us an impression that uh, this is really important to God, that this tree of life be closely guarded. Yeah. Other angels will look very different. In fact, sometimes you won't even know they're angels. You know, just think they're human beings at first. So. Okay. Yeah, any other questions about cherubim before we go on? Okay. Cherubim? Yes. You know, all my life, I thought cherubims and cher I pictured these beautiful little babies, wings flying. Yeah. That is, yeah, thank you. Is that a different <laughs> word than cherubim? Or it where is, did that come from? Where it is the same word. And I don't know how we went from these powerful... Uh, scary, frankly, angelic beings to, you know, pudgy little babies sitting on clouds, <laughs> you know, with a bow and arrow, like Cupid, you know, or with a harp, you know, just playing nice music. I don't know how we got from one to the other. Somewhere we really uh, ripped the power, the might out of cherubim and just left them as, you know, little cute little things. And they're not. If you ever meet a, a cherub, and I hope to one day, you know, in heaven, uh, in eternal life, I hope to, um, they're, they're nothing to be trifled with. You know, these are powerful creatures. There's a reason Adam and Eve didn't go back in the garden. Right? I'm sure they wanted to, but God said no. And he locked the door, you know, by putting these cherub in there and that flaming sword. Heaven? Yes. No, you, you mentioned it, the garden again. And... <laughs> I, there's something that's bothering me because and I, I don't I'm, I'm being forced to say it. I pictured how God's heart must have been pierced when he was in heaven with Lucifer and had Lucifer disobey and take a third of angels away. So when he created his masterpiece, maybe he knew in his mind, I'm going to make sure that these I have an alternative to say what I have created. And that's why that, you know, that Christ was there. But yeah. I, I just. I kept not separate the two whenever he was hurt so bad in heaven to have this disobedience and then to have the disobedience in one of his creations. Yeah. But he did make a way out for us that he just, you know, he didn't make a way out for Satan because Satan never changed. Right. But he made a way back for us to be with him. Yeah. But you thank know, you. That, yeah, that must have really, uh, really touched his heart. Don't we sing some Christmas songs yeah. that have a minute? Yes. Um, Christmas songs. We probably yeah, do. I, Christmas songs that had cherubim in it. Yeah, we probably do. I can't think of any right off. I know which one. There's this, a song that says cherubim and seraphim falling down before him. Right. That's like that. that's our mm -hmm. song. Holy, holy, holy. Cherubim and seraphim falling down before mm -hmm. thee. Yeah, which comes right out of uh, Revelation four. Mm-hmm. What are seraphim? Uh, I can't answer that yet. You have to wait till we get to Isaiah 6. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a while before we get there. Um, seraphim are, uh, it, it uh, translates directly as uh, fiery ones. Um, and they, they look an awful lot like cherubim. They might be the same thing. He just, Isaiah describes them a little differently than Ezekiel does. But uh, Ezekiel describes cherubim, Isaiah describes seraphim. But they're very, very similar, if not, you know, the same with variations. 
So, yeah, very, very similar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Monica? There must, I'm sure you'll get into this later on, but there must have been um, an importance in God's heart about the cherubims because he told them to put them on the mercy seat on the lid yes. of the ark. Mm -hmm. That's right. We will get into that in section two of our study. We'll get into uh, uh, the book of Exodus and how um, God uh, wanted uh, cherubim to be in the design of the tabernacle later on the temple, which replaced the tabernacle, uh, and also on the uh, atonement cover, the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. There are two cherubim there. Yep, exactly right. They must have been important to God. We'll talk about what that, uh, what that represented uh, also when we get there. Yeah, good. Any other thoughts on cherubim before we go on? We'll look at a couple of short passages before we close up. Okay. All right. Let me get back to our PowerPoint here, and um, let's let's go on here. Uh, Genesis 6 is the next time we run into something that might be angels. I want to talk about it because a lot of mythology has burst out of this really mysterious text, and I want to deal with it here for just a minute, and then we'll, we'll go on. Um, there are a lot of texts that we'll just look at, glance at, and move on because they tell us something, but not. we won't need to dig in deeply like we just did with Genesis 3. And then there are other texts like Genesis 3 we'll spend a lot of time on. So Genesis 6, verses 1 through 4, this is right at the beginning of the story of Noah. And it says, when human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. Okay, this is a really mysterious passage. Um, the, the key mystery here is in verse 2. Who are the sons of God? who married whichever of the daughters of humans they wanted to marry? And the answer is, we don't know. Uh, the reason this is confusing and where this, you know, where angels get pulled into this conversation is that sometimes in scripture, sons of God refers to human beings, especially the faithful. Uh, like in one of the Psalms, uh, God says, uh, you are all sons of God. Jesus quotes that, that line from the Psalms at one time. Um, but then sometimes in scripture, sons of God refers to angels. Like when we get into Job chapter one, and we find that all the angels gathered together before God uh, and his throne. Um, it's the, the word for angels. There's actually uh, the term sons of God. Uh, the sons of God gathered before the throne of God. And we understand that's angels. But sometimes sons of God means angels and sometimes it doesn't. And so which one is it here? We don't know. So here's the. Here's what that means. Um, if the sons of God are angels, then we have marriage between angels and human beings, which could mean possibly that, well, it would mean, first of all, that uh, angels have the ability to marry humans, which that seems really odd and doesn't fit with anything else we know about angels in all of Scripture. Um, it could also mean if they procreated, there could be angel DNA in the human race. I have no idea what that would mean. That one is way beyond me and way too speculative for me to spend time on. Um, but it's, you know, that's, that's kind of where the theory goes. 
Uh, and then God is, is angry because the angels are going down and marrying humans and God's not going to put up with this. Uh, and then the Nephilim in verse four are present. They're very powerful heroes because they have an angelic DNA, you know, and so they're stronger and smarter, whatever, than other humans. I'm not real confident that that's the proper interpretation of this passage. Uh, I suspect that sons of God there in verse two actually refers to human beings who have been faithful to God, uh, probably the uh, descendants of uh, Adam and Eve's son, Seth. You remember Cain killed Abel. Cable has de- uh, Cain has descendants. Um, they continue to carry on his evil ways. Um, Adam and Eve have another son, Seth, and uh, his offspring are faithful. It's from his offspring that Noah comes. And, uh, and Enoch, who was taken away to be with God because he was righteous. And so I kind of wonder if maybe the sons of God uh, doesn't refer to human beings who, um, uh, who, who were faithful to God, but then decided to marry outside the faith, if that makes sense, um, and married people who did not hold the same conviction that they were going to follow uh, God's ways. And so then they polluted uh, the line of the faithful with um, ungodliness and sin. And that, it no, seems to makes me, me think of, mm-hmm. go ahead, Earl. this makes me think of Joseph and Mary. How so? Uh, just, you know, the sons of God and the miracle that happened between the two of them. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Jesus there is literally son of God, right? Yes. He's, he's son of God in a whole new way. Yeah. Yes. Uh, divine, actually, not just, uh, you know, not human, not angelic, but divine. Yeah. So he brings a whole new level of meaning to this term, son of God. Yeah. Um, there is a little bit of similarity in that uh, Jesus, as son of God, did everything his father wanted him to do. These sons of God, whatever they are, whoever they are, are not doing quite what God wants them to do. Um, so there's a contrast between the two groups. Have any of you heard that theory before that uh, angels married, intermarried with humans and procreated? And that's what, Monica, you've heard that? Yeah. And Richard? Yeah. Um, but I've also heard what you said. Uh, say that again, Monica. I've also heard what you said about the sons of God possibly were people, who, men who were trusting in God and following him. And the daughters of men were possibly women who were not. Yeah. And we get, you know, later who had, in, in, who had been related to King. Uh huh. And later in uh, the stories of Israel, we get uh, stories of um, ungodly women seducing godly men, and uh, the men are held accountable for that. Um, maybe we have the same thing here. I'm, I'm kind of guessing. So, Richard, did you have a thought? Uh, yes, I've I've heard both. Uh, my father would talk on these for a for time and put forth different theories and then he'd always end up by saying you know richard it has nothing to do with our soul salvation <laughs> yeah it's not something that we need to get stuck on yeah no. now, the but I, but I yes yeah the serpent has to do with our salvation for sure uh, in fact, uh, I didn't mention it, but there's uh, in the curse in God's curse on the serpent, we have what may be the first 
prophecy of Jesus conquering the devil. Uh, you will, um, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel, right? You're going to, you're going to hurt him, but he's going to crush you. Go ahead, Richard. I, I, after saying that and having repeated myself on this passage many times over the years, something just hit me. And that is, if the second idea is true, then this would be the first example of God setting forth a policy that I believe he still wants today. My people should not marry other peoples. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we can take it that way. Yes. If that's the correct interpretation of this passage, then that would imply uh, we need to be careful, you know, when we marry uh, to um, marry people who share our faith. Yep. I agree. Especially for our kids' sake. And also for our own sake. Yeah. Let's take a look at one more passage. I didn't want to spend too much time on that one. Um, we just, you know, it's kind of an unanswerable question. I'm pretty confident that we're talking about humans there, but you'll hear people say that it's angels. But there's just nothing else in Scripture that even suggests that angels might marry humans. I mean, Jesus says angels don't get married. Uh, we'll look at that passage down the road ways. Um, let's look at this, this last one, and we'll close up for today. This is getting into the stories of Abraham. Genesis 16, I'll, I'll start in verse 7. Uh, this is the first appearance we have of an angel to human beings outside of the Garden of Eden, after the Garden of Eden with those cherubim. Uh, so the first of what we would consider a normal angelic appearance to human beings. Not that there's anything normal about angels appearing to humans, but this is you know about as normal as it gets. Uh, and this is in the story of Hagar, who was uh, became uh, Abraham's concubine when his wife Sarah couldn't have children. She gave him her maidservant Hagar. This was normal practice in their culture. If you couldn't have a baby and you were a wealthy family that had a female servant of the right age, uh, Sarah gave Abraham, uh, Abram, her um, servant, her slave. And uh, she got pregnant. And when she got pregnant, uh, she became rebellious toward Sarai. And Sarai, she's not called Sarah yet, Sarai, uh, sends her away. Abram, Abram, not called Abraham yet, approves this. And we pick up the story when Hagar has been forced to leave uh, their home and go off on her own. And verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And so it gives us a definitive place. I don't think we know where that is today, but in ancient times they would have known. It says, this is where this happened. Verse 8, and he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? This is the angel talking, right? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called 
Bier Lahai Roy, which uh, footnote there in the NIV says means well of the living one who sees me. It is still there between Kadesh and Berid. Okay, just this little story of uh, the angel of the Lord appearing to Hagar. Pretty typical of uh, angelic appearances as we'll see them later. Uh, but there are a couple of things for us to notice. First, this is the first time it happens. Angels can appear to human beings. Um, and it's unclear whether Hagar understands that she's speaking to an angel. She may not understand that until the prophecy is given and then uh, comes to pass. And then she realizes, oh, this was a messenger of God. A couple of questions come up here. Uh, first, uh, what is an angel? And if you're taking notes, make sure you write this down. Uh, an angel is literally a messenger. An angel is literally a messenger. The Hebrew word for angel is malach. In English, it'd be M-A-L-A-C-H. Malach, M-A-L-A-C-H. And that means messenger. It's the word used for human messengers as well as um, divine messengers or heavenly messengers. Uh, and so sometimes in scripture, it's a little hard to figure out is this, uh, is this messenger a human being or is this an angelic being? It can be a little tough sometimes. Usually we can figure it out pretty well. This one clearly is from God because it gives, he gives prophecy and it comes true. Uh, in Greek, um, the word for angel is angelos, from which we get our word angel, angelos. And it means the same thing. It just means messenger. So every time you run into angels in, in Greek, it'll, it'll say angelos. In Hebrew, it's usually malach. Sometimes it's sons of God, but you understand that they're angelic sons of God. And so sometimes our translations will say angels. Uh, one other thing to look at here, the angel of the Lord found Hagar, verse 7. That, uh, that phrase, angel of the Lord, is very important in the Old Testament, especially and comes up a few times in the New as well. And there's, there's some debate among uh, biblical scholars about whether the angel of the Lord is actually an angel. Or is God in human form? Because, okay, angel of the Lord means messenger of the Lord, but sometimes this so-called angel of the Lord talks as if he's God. Like you see this in verse 10. Uh, the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. You see that there? And so the angel of the Lord who should be saying, God will increase your descendants, says, I will increase your descendants. Now, next week, we'll get into the next stories uh, in Genesis 18 and 19 of Abraham uh, meeting angels. And one of them is the angel of the Lord. And this angel of the Lord is often just called the Lord. And so we wonder, could it be God himself who is speaking here? And so this is a question that we'll have to grapple with as we um, move down through the text. Who is the angel of the Lord? Um, I had a professor in college, a Bible professor, uh, who was absolutely convinced the angel of the Lord is Jesus because uh, this is a messenger of God, not God the Father himself, but messenger of God who can say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And so is divine. Um, <coughs> I, I didn't find his argument quite convincing, but that was his position. He thought it was Jesus. Richard? As you brought that up, I will add that it sounds like the Holy Spirit to me. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Yeah, and that's you know, if it could be Jesus, it could be saying, the Holy Spirit, I'm not right? Saying it, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it would be weird for it to be Jesus before his incarnation, you know, through Mary and the Holy Spirit. Um, that, would, that would seem odd. My professor was convinced. Um, you could make the same argument for the Holy Spirit, I think, that he takes physical form here. And so, therefore, he is a messenger of God the Father, but he uh, also um, is able to say, I will do this and I will do that. I, I think there's another uh, theory that, that makes more sense to me, and that is um, just comes from the culture of the time. When the king sent out his representative and his representative came to your town and said, this and that are going to happen, he spoke with the authority of the king. And he could say, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And everything he did was done with the authority of the king. And so my guess is the Amen. angel of the Lord is, thank you, Richard. Uh, my guess is the angel of the Lord is uh, the representative of the Lord, an angel, but with full authority from God to do whatever he needs to do. Or he just knows exactly what God wants done. And so he's speaking for God. And so it's like when he speaks, you might as well be hearing God. It's coming out of the mouth of an angel, but you might as well be hearing God. Does that make sense? Any questions on that? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're going to see a lot of the angel of the Lord uh, in the Old Testament. We'll look at some of the stories in which he comes up. Uh, and he is a very interesting character. doesn't necessarily mean it's the same angel every time. The angel of the Lord could be whichever angel God wanted to send out that day. Uh, that's entirely possible. Okay. We have looked at a lot today. We have looked at the serpent, uh, the cherubim. We've looked at the first um, appearance of a, an actual normalish angel to human beings after they're kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Uh, we've looked at, at a, you know, a, a, a big uh, mystery surrounding the sons of God who married the daughters of men. Um, we've, we've covered a lot today. Let's uh, go ahead and wrap up there. And next time, let's pick up with um, a long story. It might be the longest story we have of uh, an angelic uh, appearance, a continuous angelic appearance in scripture. I think it's the longest outside of a vision like Revelation or the first six chapters of Zechariah. Uh, an actual really happened appearance of angels to uh, people, uh, angels appearing to Abraham in Genesis 18 and 19. So we'll look at that next time, not just Abraham, but also his nephew uh, Lot. Uh, and so we'll look at that next time. A lot of interesting insight into angels uh there okay with that any last questions before we close up richard got a question a comment sure you have my permission to delete anything that i have said and my feelings <laughs> will not be hurt at all <laughs> great i appreciate you saying that because uh it's gone it's gone brother i'm taking it out <laughs> okay I was going to do it anyway, but now I won't hurt your feelings. Oh, you won't hurt my feelings a bit. No, we are absolutely keeping it. Unless you want it out. If you want it out, we can take it out. But I, absolutely I, I keep just, it. I just trust you completely to, you know, this is, excuse me for kind of going off base, but this is one of the things that we discussed because at Atanum, we're doing everything on Zoom, but our lessons are movies. And we put them on our website. And one of the things that we said we needed to be very careful about was that they were understandable, that there weren't things added that would be confusing to people. 
And so that's where I trust you completely to go back through it and say, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, appreciate that. I, I lost you there for just a second. My connection wasn't very stable there for just a minute on my end, but I think I caught most of what you said. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So I'll listen back through and pull out anything we need to pull out. But I think uh, I think everything was good today. I don't think I'll have to do any editing. Really appreciate your comments and your insights. Those are great. Um, we're going to have a, a bunch to learn about uh, uh, angels and the devil, demons and such, um, and more. Uh, Darlene, I wanted to mention earlier, and I forgot, don't, don't get too attached to the idea that Lucifer was uh, up in heaven with God and took a third of the angels with him. Um, because uh, scripture is not quite that clear about where the devil came from. Uh, so we'll look at what we know about where he came from. We'll look at some theories and some texts those theories come from. And we'll have to kind of weigh them and see how legit they are. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll work on that later on in the weeks ahead. But uh, we just kind of... Lucifer is not the devil? Well, first of all, the word Lucifer isn't even in the Bible after the King James Version, because it's a mistranslation to begin with. God protected every word and every uh, name. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but sometimes people have mistranslated a little bit. Usually we come back and correct it later, but that can get weird theories started. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that later when we get into uh, the time of Isaiah and then Ezekiel. Yeah, we'll get into that then. Thank so. you. Yep. So just kind of hold that theory in abeyance. We'll judge it and weigh it later on. Okay. Let's go ahead and, and stop there. I'm going to uh, lead us in a... Well, when you know his heart prayer. was pierced. Oh, yeah. yeah. No doubt. No doubt God was very uh, uh, pained by angelic sin as well as human sin. And we will look at the issue of fallen angels oh, down the road a bit. Yeah. You just You just told us. On that one verse we read, the very next chapter, he was ready to destroy every one of his creations, including the animals. Yeah. He was so hurt and so pained yeah. by what his creation had done. Right. So, yeah, it, it, I'm anxious for you to get to that part there, but mm -hmm. I love this lesson. Thank you. Okay, I'm, I'm glad, it's, uh, glad it's working for you, Darlene. I appreciate that. I said I was going to lead us in a closing prayer, but can I ask Richard, Richard, would you, uh, would you lead us in a closing prayer today? Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for, again, allowing us to get together with our loved ones, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to study a portion of your word. We thank you for Kevin, who is willing to do the background study to, to bring these lessons together. Uh, in, in my own opinion, we're going into an area that is very fascinating. We know that everything in scripture is written for our good and should have meaning for us. Continue to be with all of those that need our prayers for any reason, for those who have lost loved ones, for those who are hurting in any way. Comfort them in the way that only you can. But if, there, if we have an opportunity to be of assistance, please show us that opportunity. Go with us through this day and on through life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank, thank you, Richard. You. Thank you, everybody. Amen.